Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and Radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. And hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the City Game Podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com, and folks, story of the week is that the rich are getting richer. And for the first time since the term buyout market entered into our collective mindset, the Nets happen to be one of the rich teams built around three of the best players in the NBA in Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and the frontrunner in the league's MVP race, as far as I'm concerned, James Harden. You know, Brooklyn is the place to be for ring chasers, not just hipsters. We just saw a big man, LaMarcus Aldridge, sign up over the weekend when the whole world had him pegged from Miami after the Spurs bought him out. Before that, Pistons cast-off Blake Griffin pounced on the Nets' offer. So where once the Nets were lacking up front, they now have somewhat of, I guess, an embarrassment of riches. What to do about that glut? I'll be getting into that and other Nets items of interest in this show. And to help with that, got a real treat of a special guest, the Grand Poobah of the premier Nets fan site on the web, Mr. Nets Daily himself, Bob Windrum, will be chatting with me shortly. I've also got my usual basket of clips from the Net Zoom interview sessions over the past week, so I hope you'll find this episode joyful and enlightening. And if you do, I ask that you please subscribe to this podcast where you can on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're using right now. And feel free to let me know what you think in the Apple Podcast review section. So, since I last spoke to you, The Nets' performance level has dipped somewhat, but because they're so freaking talented, you know, they're still winning plenty of games. 18 of their last 21, in fact. They're still a half game behind Philly in the Eastern Conference with a relatively easy upcoming schedule. It's not necessarily a good thing, given how often this team plays down to their opponents got away with it in their last two games, beating Detroit and Minnesota and nail-biters. So now with the Aldridge signing, 
Let's now have six players with at least one NBA All-Star nod on their resumes. 41 appearances total. Remember, folks, you know this all started with the Nets developing D'Angelo Russell into an All-Star two years ago. You know, leading them to that improbable run to a playoff berth as a six seed after several years as the league's cellar dweller. But, you know, Brooklyn's competence, especially compared to the dumpster fire across the river, and that allowed them to be a valid destination option for free agents Katie and Kyrie. And after an injury gap year, everyone in the league knew that the Nets were going to be a problem this season. James Harden certainly knew it. And, you know, his power play forced Houston to cave to his wish to join the party here, making, you know, the Nets a villain in some folks' eyes. You know, the Griffin and Aldridge signings furthered that narrative with Howard Beck in Sports Illustrated writing, you know, I'll give him credit, a nuanced article about how this was bad for NBA business. Well, not bad for the dollars and cents part of things, you know, Fans seems to be more drawn to super teams than when the NBA has parity, but bad for competitive balance. You know what? Who cares? You know, save the vitriol for fans of teams like the Celtics and the Lakers. You know, teams that have had the deck stacked in their favor for most of the league's history. You know, after the ABA merger in 1976, the Nets have had like seven seasons where they advanced past the first round of a playoffs. But, you know, it's certainly true that this team is locked and loaded. Really, you know, there's not much for me to complain about. But, you know, you can count on me. I I do have a few things I want to get off my chest. I mean, I guess I got to talk about Timothy Luau Cabarro for a couple of minutes. You know, this guy's the first sub off the bench in Detroit on Friday night. Goes two for eight from the field, including one for six from three with several of the misses coming from, you know, with no one within five miles of him. Puts his head down on a reckless drive and then hits the underside of the backboard on another shot. You know, loses his responsibility on defense a couple of times, you know, Harden visibly yelling at him. And, you know, when he fouled that three-point shooter, you know, I just felt, you know, I had to tweak. Bingo! I mean, I know the stats say he was a plus 12, but those of us who watch the Nets all the time, you know, we got the full TLC experience in 22 minutes. Of course, you know, that was a game where there were like five guys ahead of him in the rotation who were on the inactive list. So, you know, like I said before, you know, as a developmental prospect, you know, it's not suicidal to have a guy like him at the end of the bench, you know, who's sometimes forced into action. You know, he was less destructive in 14 plus minutes last night against the Timberwolves. But you know what? It, you know it does boggle my mind why Nets coach Steve Nash seemingly goes out of his way to get this guy on the court. I mean, you know, I mentioned the big man glut in the opening segment. You know, with DeAndre Jordan starting and Claxton, Griffin, and Jeff Green all capable and available contributors last night. Yet Nash played much of the game with just one of them on the floor. And you wonder why Minnesota managed to retrieve 17 offensive rebounds. You know, that's we're really very fortunate that that team stinks, or else those extra possessions it would have led to a heck of a lot more than 20 second-chance points. And, you know, who knows, maybe another inexplicable loss. I mean, what are we doing here, guys? 
you know, earlier in the year when the team had just one guy in Jordan over six foot ten, yeah, you know, you had to go small. Bruce Brown at the four, Joe Harris at the four, lots of TLC, go crazy. Now, there's no excuse for getting overpowered on the glass because you refuse to put the requisite size into the lineup on the court. And it's not like Green and Griffin can't play forward. They're not going to wreck the floor spacing. Green has been knocking down threes at a 41.7% clip this season. And Griffin, you know, he's proven he can hit the open three. And the way the Nets play D, switching everything, it's even more important to have two guys with size on the court at all times. I mean, you know, when a guard gets switched onto an opposing big after like a standard 1-5 pick and roll, I mean, you can hear that second Nets big yell, get out! You know, executing, you know, what's called a scram switch so the guard can rotate out to a shooter instead of having to worry about the paint. You know, wily vets like Griffin and Green are so good at that. And it especially makes things easier for Claxton. You know, sometimes he's a bit too overeager to jump out on screens so he can show how he can switch onto guards. The kid, you know, relishes those challenges. God bless him. You know, he's got the footwork to keep up. You know, as well as the energy to hustle back into the paint to help with rebounding. So, you know, it's been effective more times than not. But again, you know, the Nets have been much worse defensively in the minutes where Claxton was the sole big man on the floor. Now look, this kid is forming special bonds with both Green and Griffin, and it's been working. Don't fix what ain't broke. So, you know, I got a chance to ask Claxton about his newer sidekick, and here's the clip. Hi, Nick. Uh, where once you were playing a lot with uh, Jeff Green, now you're playing more with Blake Griffin. Uh, can you just talk about, you know, how it's been with him, you know, just coming to the team? Is he still as communicative as Jeff was? What have you seen from him? Definitely. I like playing with Blake. He's similar, in a sense, to Jeff. He's really vocal out there, um, telling me what he sees. And he makes the game easier for me, honestly, having another big out there. He can come down, help with rebounds. So, you know, I like I like playing with Blake, and I'm learning a lot from him. So there you go. That was the Nets' young center, Nick Claxton, on Blake Griffin, who, from my vantage point, has been averaging more floor burns per game than field goal attempts. It's my estimate, at least. You know, we hear all the time about, you know, Harden and Kyrie have sacrificed some of their old styles for the good of this team. Well, you know, in my view, you could add Blake to this list. I mean, he had 17 points in 20 minutes in his revenge game against the Pistons on Friday. But, you know, I think he's been making his mark in Brooklyn more by setting screens, taking charges, diving on the floor for loose balls, doing more of that than scoring. It's been quite eye-opening, I must say. You know, ask Nash about that, and here's his clip. Hi, Steve. Uh, most fans know Blake Griffin as the you know, all-star scorer. Can you describe the impact that he's having with hustle plays, setting screens, taking charges? Yeah, I mean, um, Blake's experience and intelligence are, are really important. You know, he, he he's still... Um, you know, has the ability to, to, to play make and make threes, rebound, post up smaller players. So it's not that he's just a hustle player now, but he's willing to dive on the floor. He's already taken a few charges, um, but that intelligence and experience is, is adding to our group. And as he continues to get more familiarity with the group and the way we play, he's going to be more valuable as well. So, yeah, I mean, listening to Nash, 
You'd think he'd have no reason to be so small ball obsessed. And when the Nets get Aldridge into the fold after he ramps up with their performance team, that's another big body who came here to play. Oh, you know, did I not mention that KD will be back at some point soon? How soon? Well, you know, he played four-on-four with what the Nets call their stay-ready group at Sunday's practice. A group, you know, that, by the way, included Irving, who returned to action against the T-Wolves after missing Brooklyn's three-game road trip to attend to the birth of his child. So I asked Bruce Brown, who also played in that four-on-four, asked him about how Durant looked, and here's his short response. Hi, Bruce. Since uh, you talked about playing four-on-four and your coach said Kevin was in that group, wanted to check how did he look? Was he able to take contact? How close do you think he is to coming back? (laughs) Kev is Kev. Uh, he's going to go out there and get a bucket. He's going to play his game. Uh, he looks really good out there. I, I mean, I don't know when he's coming back, but he looks really good. Yeah, like I said, uh, short but sweet answer there from Nets guard Bruce Brown. But, you know, folks, let's not kid ourselves. We're only talking about one of the best scorers in NBA history. Guy who was averaging 29 points per game when he went down with that hamstring injury. And nearly seven feet tall. He can play almost anywhere. And, you know, when he comes back, you know, what's a coach to do? You know, all of us in the media try to get Nash to give us something about the rotation. And here was my lame attempt. Hi, Steve. I guess I'll go through it uh, in a different way. Uh, when you're looking at how you manage rotations, how much do you use analytics? For instance, how well the numbers say certain players work well together, or is this something that just evolves under your eye test? No, analytics is definitely a part of, of how we approach everything. So it'll be a component of all our decisions. Um, but there's also has to be look and feel and and the human side of it too. So, you know, those are things, you know, like I said, we, I, I could only, you know, make a guess right now how it'll play out, but we're excited to have options and depth and uh, we're in a, in a better position today than yesterday because we have more depth. Again, that was Nets coach Steve Nash on last night's pregame Zoom call. You know, you know, in last week's show, I went over my ideal rotation for the Nets. And you can probably guess it was heavily weighted towards size with lots of KD at the three. You know, Griffin starting at the four and with Claxton and Green as bigs off the bench. And, that, you know, that, of course, didn't even factor in Aldridge. Look, you know, I believe in the Nets thinking that this guy still has something left in his tank. But honestly, you know, I can't see how this signing moves the needle other than giving them some injury insurance. You know, I saw someone tweet that the Spurs, you know, aren't exactly in tank mode. and they're in seventh place in the West. And yet, you know, they made the conscious decision that Aldridge couldn't help them now. So, you know, I guess we should all be a little skeptical too. I know this is low risk, you know, with Aldridge on a minimum deal, but you know the Spurs don't have a history of making these kinds of mistakes. And I don't know. I'm kind of like most fans who are worrying that Aldridge's playing time will come at the expense of Claxton, who has been absolutely destroying other teams' bench units. I mean, if Nash lessened Jordan's minutes, even pulling him from the rotation entirely. You know, I think most fans would be fine with that. Uh, I don't know if I can see that even happening, you know, Jordan being a friend of Kevin. 
So let's hear what my special guest this week has to say about that and about lots of other Nets-related items. So here's my interview with the co-founder of NetsDaily.com, Mr. Bob Windrum. Folks, I have a very happy special guest today. I mean, if not for this once-in-a-century pandemic, this guy probably couldn't be any happier. He's a Nets season ticket holder and the co-founder of the leading fan site dedicated to all things Brooklyn Nets. Of course, talking about Mr. Bob Windrum, Mr. Nets Daily himself. He's on my Zoom. Bob, thanks for giving me some time today. Got to imagine you're a bit on cloud nine right now. Am I right? Yeah, I'm a little exhausted after the uh, after the last week with the uh, three time zone road trip that uh, Chris Mulholland, Matt Brooks, and I had to had to sustain. But uh, between that and the and the and the the uh, trade deadline and now the buyouts, um, it's been a little tiring. But at the end of the day, the Nets are 17 and three over the last 20 games, best in the league. They've added two very prominent veterans, and Spencer Dinwiddie, um, one of my all-time favorites, is uh, is still a Brooklyn Net. So it's all good. Yeah, we're gonna get into all that, but I just want to start out. You know, first, I gotta just say myself: there's this ridiculous notion that the Nets are some kind of evil empire because <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, good players now want to play for them. You just mentioned two of them. Yeah, you know, something. I mean, I see you're relishing this on Twitter, by the way. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I mean, what's it been like three months? No one was crying last season when KD and Kyrie were hurt all year. I'm sorry, folks. You know, anyone, these, these people got to save their vitriol for like teams like the Lakers and the Celtics. You know, these teams have had their deck stacked in their favor so many years. If this had been the Knicks, you know, oh. You, you, oh. you know, can you imagine? But, you know, they're so mismanaged, they couldn't do it. But my first question to you is really the other side of the coin. Like, you know, how has the Nets rise impacted your site's following, not just in, you know, Twitter followers, but, you know, interest is measured by page views? Yeah, things are, things are up across the board. Um, Twitter, Twitter is something that I just checked so I can give you a fairly good number on, which is we are now at 36,000 and change Twitter followers. We passed... 30,000 on draft night. So that's a 20% increase since the middle of November. Um, page views are also up um, in the SB Nation uh, listing of most popular sites. We are, you know, top five. Um, and occasionally we'll, you know, we'll break the top three. I mean, there's a very loyal fan base in Portland and the Lakers, of course, have found have excuse me have fans around the uh, around the country and around the world, but we're doing quite well, thank you. And uh, you know, it's it's interesting because we've also noticed a better, um, more informed fan joining us in the uh, in the comments section. Um, you know, rarely is there rarely is there a uh, in inaccurate um, or bad impression left unanswered. Let's put it that way. Well, I'm going to get to that because, you know, you, you mentioned some of the writers you have, you always have so many tremendous young writers on your site, several of whom have been guests on this podcast. And I, I think I used the same joke when you were on with me last year that, you know, I say if news breaks anywhere in the world, that's even tangentially Nets related, you know, Nets daily has it covered. But, you know, this year you had some major stories. I, to me, 
the biggest was the James Harden trade. So I was curious when the trade went down, you talked about the fan reaction and the intelligence. What was their reactions mostly? I imagine most were for the trade. It would was, you say was, there was healthy negative reaction to it? was about 60-40 for the trade. And the and the 40%, there was, you know, there was a lot of 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 I don't want to call it anger, um, but disappointment. Um, and there was a lot of hearkening back, foolish as it was, to you know what happened um to what happened in, in 2013 when Billy King traded the future for three guys who were well past their prime. Um, of course, there are a lot of differences between that and the Harden trade, <laughs> as we've learned. Um, but I think, that, I think that it took a little while even for me to understand just how great James Harden uh, is. I mean, we were so familiar with the, uh, and we were not alone. We were so familiar with the, you know, with the notion that he's all about dribble, 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 shoot, 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 that we had forgotten. He led the league in assists um, and was sixth man of the year, um, you know, uh, not too many years back. And and then you just look at where he stands in, in some of the all-time categories with, you know, a significant number of years left, probably. I mean, he's fifth in three-pointers. He's 12th in uh, in free throws made. I mean, things like this are, you know, are something that a lot of, a lot of people may have missed. And I think that he also, and the fan base also, is benefiting from the acceptance of him as a New York icon, an iconic sports figure in, in New York. Um, right now, there isn't anyone um, other than Judge for the Yankees um, who is as iconic as he is right now. Uh, I mean, it's really stunning. I think, uh, I think the fans uh, are drawn to him because he's always playing. And it brings me to, you know, the one controversial sort of topic. Um, you know, we call the Seinfeld joke. You know, we're rooting for laundry. So, you know, yep. Kyrie yep. Irving, if, if yep. Kyrie Irving were on the Knicks, I, I just have a pretty strong hunch you'd be voicing a stronger opinion about his reliability. I mean, you know, well, in, a, in a politically correct way, you know, that doesn't disparage anyone's mental capacity. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not going to disparage his mental. I mean, no, no. I said you would yeah. never do that. I just say there's so many nuances no. to Kyrie's story, you know, with his devotion to, you know, the many worthy causes causes he has outside of basketball but you know strictly as a Nets fan like you're watching Harden bust his hump every night not even wanting to come out of games he played the entire second half in a meaningless game against Detroit I know you know, let alone he's missing games you know, do you ever feel like taking a step back and maybe challenging you know the PR spin about Kyrie Look, I don't know. I don't know what the I don't know what the situation is. I've heard rumors. You've heard rumors. I don't know. All I know is this: that his loss hasn't hurt them. And if he has personal issues and family matters to deal with, then God love him. Um, you know, we have you know we have people who you know who have similar issues. We've all in our in our in our uh, work. In our work life, have um, have people who are either different or are troubled or are have family and and 
and personal issues to deal with. And you know, unless and until it has an effect, um, then, you know, meh, let, let, let's, you know, this is the era of player empowerment. And within that concept, there is the, there is the idea that players need to be human beings at the same time. And people have different responsibilities. People have different medical histories. People have, have different um, personal uh, histories. So I'm always willing to give, I'm always given, willing to give people the benefit of the doubt, particularly again, when they're winning. If, you know, maybe of those three losses, if he had played, I think there were two of them where, yeah, there were two of them where he didn't play. Uh, I think that, you know, so maybe they would have won one of them. And is that really going to matter at the end of the day? Almost certainly not. And again, you know, we are in a different era. Um, and I look at, you know, I look at the, I look at the Knicks and I, you know, look at their issues and, um, and I think to myself, you know, that's not the big issue. The big issue is not the players. The big issue is, you know, in that particular case, is management. And you can also say that the big issue for the Nets is their management, their ability to get beyond this, their ability to create, to create this um, culture that accepts Kyrie's differences um, and and move on. I think it's, I think it's to the, I think it's to the Nets, uh, both players and um, and management's uh, credit that they can let him that they, they can let him deal with with issues that are of importance to him. Um, and again, you touched on you touched on you know his various his various charitable works. I mean, the one thing about the one thing about Kyrie's charitable works that I think is missing very often is he does not wait. He's among the first people to do something. Um, when and after the pandemic started, I mean that first contribution of the uh, first donations for food um, for less privilege was March twenty third. I mean again, he got into this early. Um, similarly with the WNBA and the and, and the bubble. I mean before they went down to Bradenton. He set up that that fund to help uh, WNBA players who couldn't or didn't want to play um, in the in the in the wobble. Um, so it's you know, and and there's this is what we know about. I, I don't know the full extent of what Kyrie has done as a human being, but I you know I'm happy that he's doing it. If 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 my team, the team that I root for, the team that I write about, um, you know, has a player like. Kyrie Irving, as a human being like Kyrie Irving, a man like Kyrie Irving, then, you know, I'm happy. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I, I understand. And I've, I've even written things about, have defended, you know, the stuff that he said, you know, when there was the controversy about, you know, Kyrie uh, trying to tell players, maybe it's not the best time to play in the bubble, you know, legitimate. that was legitimate. Yeah. He, he, yeah. In his mind, it was important that these players use their well, feet, think, not think, just their voices. Yeah, I think that I think that 
that particular case was probably the most controversial. But, you know, he was, he was instilling a, a debate among his fellow players. And it was a legitimate debate at a time when tensions were high, you know, not just because of, of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Anthony Oberge, et cetera. It was because we were in the middle of a pandemic, you know, six months away from a vaccine, and and people were and people were just in general upset with the way with the way the country was being was being run. Um, and all of those things, I mean, he is, I think I think the one thing that you can say about him is he is a good citizen. Um, he likes to see debates. He's a servant leader. He goes out and he makes sure that people get people get what they need as best he can. Um, you know, again, he's a good citizen. And in that context, instilling that debate among players through the um, through the players' association, he's vice president, so he can yeah, do. That. I was fine with that. Um, yeah, and, and Garrett Temple took a different tack, and I was fine with that too. Because that's, you know, that's what it's about. And, you know, union democracy from, you know, a past that I, you know, really don't need to get into is something that's very important to me. Um, and I think that, you know, it's great that there was a debate. Um, and it also, and it also created a bit of a debate among the fans. And that too was a good thing. I'm talking with uh, Bob Windrum of Nets Daily. So let's move back to Nets basketball. We talked about the Harden trade. They got Blake Griffin, the most recent acquisition, which as of this recording has not even been announced yet, but the players seem to understand that it's happening. You know, big man, LaMarcus Aldridge is coming. Uh, obviously getting him on a minimum deal is relatively risk-free, but you know, what did you make of the signing? You know, especially in the light of how it potentially affects you know, the playing time of Nicholas Claxton, you know, a fan favorite right now? Well, I think there's there's two th there. Well, there's multiple. <laughs> First of all, it was a big surprise. Um, the Heat were sure that he was going to Miami. And then, you know, suddenly we see a Woj bomb saying he's, you know, he's signing with the Nets. Now, I mean, looking at that first before we get into minutes, etc., um, is... The Miami story, the narrative was that he felt he had a better chance to win with uh, with the Nets than with Miami, and the four-game heat losing streak that contributed to that. But the other thing is, you know, there's a familiarity with with people on the Nets staff. I mean, it's not just Sean Marks um, who overlapped with him uh, a little less than a year. Um, yeah, I think you said there were like seven different people within the organization. Yeah, yeah, and 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 Ime Udoka, who is was you know goes back to Portland with him. They were good friends, and it was Udoka who was credited with convincing Aldrich to um, to join the Spurs. Um, you know, so. I mean, there's there's that, and then you know, there's there's the, the, the analytics guy, and there's the capologist, and and that and that's the net side of it. And on the other side, you know, he's a UT graduate, and you have, you know, and you have Kevin Durant, and you have Royal Ivy on the bench. I mean, there's a lot of connections there that gives him a higher comfort level beyond you know the belief that he's going to win the championship now. 
What do we know about what he's going to what he's going to do when he gets on the court? They're talking, according to Woj, they're talking about having him play a five. Now they had said that similarly about um, Blake Griffin, but Griffin has been playing more of a four, and that seems to be working. So it it no longer appears that Griffin is going to be playing much of the five. And I think what you're looking at, I think what you're looking at with Aldrich, Jordan, um, Claxton, um, you know, to a lesser extent, Griffin is situational, um, situational uh, play. Um, if you need, if, you know, Claxton's athleticism permits him to be a better switcher than Aldrich. Um, that is not something that he's going to be good at. So if they need that, then you'll see Nick in the game. Um, if they need if they need bulk, um, you may see uh, you may see you know, Jordan in the game. And the other thing is, even if even if Claxton's minutes are diminished, as Claxton said today on the media call, He's looking forward to learning from Aldrich. And, you know, we shouldn't diminish the benefit of that either. Um, and by learning, it's not just learning, you know, how to be a pro, which, of course, is, is always part of that when you're dealing with a veteran, but also learning how to play the post, um, you know, learning how to, learning how to um, you know, leak out, uh, you know, things like this that ultimately are going to benefit uh, Claxton down the road. And, you know, the Nets have Claxton for another year after this. Um, you know, they can start negotiating with him on an extension uh, this summer, but they're very limited in what they can give him. So I, I anticipate that they'll still have Claxton next year. Um, you know, so there's plenty of time. Now, is... Is Jordan going to be upset that his minutes are reduced? I don't know. Um, his minutes are reduced now. Uh, Claxton finishes the game. Jordan starts. Claxton finish, finishes them. That is now the way Steve Nash coaches. So maybe we'll see. You know, maybe we will see. Um, maybe we will see. You know, Jordan not you know, not being as happy. And then there's one final point in this regard, which is. They still have flexibility, and you know. Well, I'll, said, I'll get to that in one in one. Yeah, second. yeah. Because so, I just want to ask Sticker with Aldridge here sure. for a second. Would you have preferred one of the others? I mean, we don't know whether Jang or Drummond even considered the Nets, but you know, as a follower of the NBA, who is the best fit for what the Nets do? I thought that they were going to go with Gang. Um, and I think a, a lot of people thought that that was going to happen. Um, they were interested in Drummond by all accounts. Like, I don't have inside information, but they certainly seem to be interested in Drummond and were willing to, willing to uh, you know, ignore um, you know, some of the issues that he's had. Um, but Woj said you know, last week, I guess it was Tuesday or Wednesday, that the Nets would love to be in the mix. Um, but apparently they were not for whatever reason. Um, did they drop out? Did, did the did uh, Blake Griffin's successes lead them to lead them to think? Well, maybe we don't know it. And and you know, and 
at that same time were they well, it's probably more likely playing time i mean anthony yeah. davis is hurt for a while drummond can go in and start and get you know 25 to 30 minutes right away whereas you know here he'd have to compete yeah but the other thing is i mean if the knicks were really in it that would be the most ideal situation particularly after you know what happened tragically to to Mitchell Robinson. Um, he could have had money, assuming that they would have been willing to pay him, um, you know, longer contracts. You know, Steph Bondi has been pointing that out for the last couple of days. Um, and he could have had more money with the Nets if they were willing to pay him. Um, you know, he's got to settle for a vet's minimum in, uh, in LA, and he would have had to settle for a vet's minimum in, uh, in Boston. In uh, in Brooklyn, he could have wound up with five million dollars, um, and in uh, in New York, he could have wound up with thirteen five. So you know, I I assume you're right that it was playing time, um, but there may have been other considerations. We you know we just don't know. Right. Well, you did bring up you know the flexibility, and so. You know, as a fan, what would you like to see Sean Marks do with that last roster spot, the one currently occupied by Elise Johnson, you know, on the 10th um, contract? I think, I, I think I go with wing defender. I mean, yeah, I maybe Otto Porter Jr. shakes free at Orlando at some point, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, here's here's my thinking on that. Um, first of all, Elise is one possibility. Chris Gioza, who hasn't played, is another possibility. They don't. Yuck, no. Um, I mean that that too is a possibility because if you look at it, you know, it doesn't cost you anything. Um, but you know, depending on what they want to do, here's my thinking on this. What I would prefer is Otto Porter if he's if he's one bought out and two healthy because he's had back issues all year. But putting that aside and assuming Avery Bradley doesn't get bought out and you know, I don't know the level of interest there. Um, I would like to see them take a chance on a younger player. There's been a number of younger players who have been, who have been released in the last few days. Some of whom were more interesting than others. You know, maybe there's somebody somebody else on their radar, you know, some G-leaguer or whatever. Be just to retain the development, um, I don't want to say culture, but, you know, to, uh, to, to just to continue to develop young players, taking chances on young players, you know, assuming that there are all the other possibilities are, are you know, are exhausted or they're not, or, you know, they're not interested in, in them. But that's, you know, that's, I mean, you know, there's Terrence Ferguson, there's Jabari Robinson, there's um, uh, Marquise Chris, um, you know, all those guys who not too long ago were seen as pretty damn good prospects um, are all now free agents. Um, so I'd like them to take a look at some of them. Uh, but what I anticipate they'll do is I think they'll do what you, you know, what you talked about, which was try to find a defensive wing. Um, and if it's Otto Porter, Otto Porter, probably not. It, it probably doesn't qualify as a defensive wing. But one, we know he likes them. And two, <laughs> they like him. I mean, he, they made him one of the richest people in the world. And, you know, so $100 million does count. Um, you know, Tyler Johnson never forgot. So. That's right. And Tyler Johnson said, my mother always told me Sean Marks is one of her favorite people. <laughs>
Um, All right, Bob, I got one more for you, if you don't mind. I'm not going to ask your age, but I'm guessing we're really not too far apart. You know, I think we both agree that this is the most talented team to ever suit up for this franchise, going back to the old ABA days. Well, first first of all, I want to let you know, I'm older than Herb Turetsky. Okay. All right. Uh, You got me beat, but uh, I'm I'm old enough to remember, you know, Julius, my favorite, first favorite player. Right. So I wanted you, if you can name the rest of your top five talented teams and, you know, just focus on the core guys, like, you know, the two Jason Kidd NBA final teams, they count once, but, you know, the Jason Kidd, Vince Carter uh, team, they can be separate. Yeah, no, I level talent. I jotted down. I jotted down my own lists in advance. Uh, You can go first, or you can hear my. I I just think that yeah, this team is right at the top. Um, and you know, and then you've got to look at the you got to look at the two finals teams, and you got to look at Kid. Um, what I always say about Jason Kid is, the last time the Nets, the Mavericks, and the Knicks won more than fifty games, Jason Kid was their point guard. Um, and, uh, and there were others, you know, there were other people on those teams that were very, very special and the way they worked together was very special. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that uh, it's hard to look at some of the Brooke Lopez teams. Um, they did win, they did win 49 games in their first season in Brooklyn, but that was before the, the trade. Um, and you know, there was some, it was a difficult team to love, but they did have success, put it that way. Um, and then if you go back to the ABA, I mean, those those two teams. And people forget that, you know, the, the New York Nets of the ABA in their last two years when, um, when Dr. J was there and they got to the finals once and then won it, they had exhibition games against the Knicks. And the Knicks at that point were coming off their championship year, their second championship year. And the Nets beat them in those exhibition games every time. Yeah, well, um, I will say this. You know, they, they won two out of the three years. The middle year, they got upset by the St. Louis Spirits. But right. I think that first team, the one that they had, Larry Keenan, mm-hmm. young Brian Taylor, young John Williamson, yeah. that was before they traded Keenan to the Spurs for Swen Nader. It was a terrible trade, but... Uh, the, that first ABA team was, that's the team I fell in love with. Uh, you know, I also want to add the 92, 93 nets with Drazen Petrovic, Derek Coleman, Kenny Anderson. Yeah, no, that's right up there. And, you know, and then there were teams that weren't, that, that nobody expected to be good. Um, you know, John Calipari's playoff team, which nobody expected to go to the, I mean, that was yeah, a, they weren't, they weren't that tough. You know, like I, the, the kid that, that finals kid team they weren't the most talented but they played together the best no no absolutely because as far as talent the Vince Carter team the one with Richard Jefferson as a as a more of a core guy instead of a rookie sophomore right he was he was much more advanced with with Vince Carter and I think they had Nanad Kristich on one of those teams they had Kristich until he was injured and they had Jason Collins and they had Lucius Harris coming off the bench and yeah and General Sherman <laughs> um, you know, they had, I mean, they had, uh, look, I've been a, I miss Drazen. I've been a season ticket holder. Well, I've been a fan since 90, 92, 93, or was it 93, 94? I forget. I took my son to a game. Oh, the and, 92, 93 team was the one that 
uh, th- that was I think Drazen might have been Drazen's last year. Yeah, I think that's I think that's. And they lost to Cleveland in the first round. They lost in a fifth game, pretty close. Yeah, yeah. I did not. Um, I did not see Drazen, so it would have been a ninety three, ninety four, and I became a season ticket holder and joined Nets Daily. Um, six, both of them are like I guess this is our. It's Nets Daily's seventeenth season, my sixteenth, and it's my sixteenth year as a uh, as a season ticket holder. Although I haven't gone to uh, games yet, um, but I intend to. Um, I'm so thankful that you did create this Nets Daily. It's like I tell everybody, it's the preeminent fan site. If certainly for the Brooklyn Nets, not the entire NBA. Thank you, uh, thank you. So here's hoping this is the team that gets over the hump. Man, you know, it's look. My feeling is, my feeling is, it's great where it is right now. I hope for the best, but if they get to the finals and lose, I am not going to. I am not going to diminish the you know what I have seen this year because it's great basketball. Absolutely, and it's fun as hell. And and, and by the way, from a newsman's perspective. <laughs> <laughs> it's never it a dull is, moment. It's right. It is full. So <laughs> one final note in terms of that is the, 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 um, the Nets, the most players that the Nets have ever had under contract in one season is 26. Is it 27 it, now, right? It's that's this one. Yep. You know, it's this one. Okay. Lamarcus Aldrich is 26. Oh my goodness. And right. there could be more. Yeah, I'm I could, sure there will be. Bob, I could do this for hours. Uh, I, I I can't thank you enough for sure. joining me today. Hopefully, you know you you said you, you think you'll be able to come to Barclays Center soon. Or I sure hope so. You know, um, I'm fully vaccinated, so I got my card. I don't even have. I don't even need a test. So. Right there, you go. Hopefully, I get to see you again soon. Thank you, Great. Bob Windrum of Nets Daily. Let's talk to you soon, Steve. Thank you very much, Bob. Again. Very big thank you to Bob Windrum of NetsDaily.com. Still the premier source for all things Nets. So before I sign off, I want to get into something he said about using that last roster slot on a young player. Whether they keep Elizay Johnson after his 10 days expire or move on to someone else. Look, you know, nothing has changed in my opinion. This team's only hole is its lack of wing defenders. I mean, the Nets have to be prepared to guard the likes of guys like Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, Tobias Harris, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and eventually, hopefully, LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard. You know, I prefer they not always entrust those assignments to KD or Harden, you know, before the switching. You know, to me, Brown is too small and Harris won't get it done either. But, you know, like I said to Bob, these types of players don't grow on trees. And everyone is on the lookout for them, even the Lakers. The Nets, though, you know, they've shown the rest of the league that they're real players now. And if they want someone, no one's stopping them. But here's where I'm going to stop. Thanks again to Bob Windrum of NetsDaily.com for his great spot. I'll be back sometime next week. So follow me on Twitter to check the posting or simply subscribe to this podcast on radio.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're downloading these episodes. 
Also, please feel free to post some nice comments on Apple Podcasts if you get a chance. So until next time, I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast.